0: Okay, so why do a class studying the geography of Israel and the places in Israel? I mean, these stories that happen here, they're old stories. They happened a long time ago. You know, you can't just go through them fast and get it and move on. Um, it's a tiny country. It's like the size of New Jersey. I was, I was shocked the first time I went, which was last summer, the first time and only time, that I've been um, it takes like 20 minutes to drive from where the crucifixion happened to where David beat Goliath I mean it's just it's it's really small um, why study geography right we've got Google Maps just type it in we'll get there we don't have to think about it make the turn right left whatever we live in a totally different place now we live in Tennessee so why study about this very small country, about things that happened a long time ago. Um, Well, I think there are a few reasons. Stories need a place to happen. If there's anything that I'm going to say that is right today, it's this one. Stories need a place to happen. you got to be somewhere for something to happen. And of all the places in the world, God chose to put Jesus in this small little place plot of land in Israel and I think what we'll find out as we get going in the class and even today where things happen influences uh, what happens and the people that are there and what's amazing about the scripture uh, for us today reading these stories is the place influences us too and so, it's important not to overlook, uh, overlook the places. A couple um, high-level thoughts that I think will be important for today and important also for uh, the class going forward. So, a Western or Greek view of the world versus an Eastern or Hebrew view of the world. So we're Western, we're Greek, and how do we process things? Well, it's abstract. We process things in an abstract way, in a logical way. We want to define it. Tell me what it is. Just, just say it. Don't, don't go around way of saying it or be dramatic. Just give it to me straight, and we like it to be systematic. A, then B, then C. Now we can know the verdict. And so, how would we describe God? Well, we would say, God is good and awesome. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. God is love. And that's all true. And that's all right. And, you know, we can all agree with that. Now, the difference in the Eastern or the Hebrew way of thinking about things, which is how the Bible uh, is written. It's a Jewish book. It's in story form. 70% plus of the Bible is story. And the rest of it is a text message to people in the story. Okay? And it's done in pictures in metaphors, and metaphors dr- and it's dramatic. So, so one way I think about dramatic. <clears throat> you remember... Uh, Jesus is. I think he's in the temple. The Pharisees come to him with a woman who has been caught in the act of adultery. Remember, they throw her down in front of him. These Pharisees and other teachers, and they say, "We caught her, and the Torah, the law that we follow from God, says we must stone her. So, what should we do?" Now, a quick sidebar, and this is kind of a soapbox of mine. So I, but. The Pharisees were good people. We actually are. We don't. We're actually wrong to say Pharisee equals hypocrite. Pharisee equals bad. That's historically not true. There was a minority of Pharisees who were hypocrites. The vast majority were really good people. Now, if you take that approach to this story, then I think maybe some of the maybe some of the accusers. Or Pharisees thought, yeah, we we want to stone her. We want to trap you, Rabbi Jesus, in in this little thing we've set up. But I think also there was a majority in that group who said, look, our law says we should stone her and we caught her. Is there a way around this? Jesus, is there a way that you interpret the scripture where we won't have to stone her? Right? You remember this? So then what does Jesus do? He he bends down, he starts writing in the dirt. And, you know, I've heard theories. Was he writing the names of the people who were around him? All this stuff. Well, maybe. I don't know. But if you take this dramatic story form way of getting ideas and messages across, you have to remember devoted Jews, including Jesus, including the Pharisees, got their excitement for life, their passion for life, their understanding of life from their Bible. And so I've come to the point where with with Jesus and the Gospels, if I don't know the Old Testament reference, I don't think I'm wrong. I just don't know if I totally understand what's going on. So Jesus bends down. He starts writing in the dirt. Now, people who know the scriptures, which would be the people in that circle, would have thought about Jeremiah 17. And Jeremiah 17 says those who are against me, God says, those who are against me I will write their name in the dust. And it goes on to say talk about the salvation of God and it also talks about those who persecute people who shouldn't be persecuted. And so Jesus by writing in the du- in the dust, is pointing his audience to Jeremiah 17. and so all these guys holding these rocks go. Okay? So we also must be careful about our own lives, our own ethical responsibility, our own morality, because if we're not careful, our names will be written in the dust. Okay, so there's a way of an example of a dramatic way of getting ideas, getting ideas across in the scripture. Now, a Hebrew would say, God is my rock, God is my shade, God is, God is light, God is living water. Now, now this, these two lines in red. If you close your eyes and think about this group of words, God is awesome God is powerful God is true. if you close your eyes there's no real picture there right it's it's abstract but for a Jew you can come up with pictures right away so that's kind of the difference in how uh, we have kind of we have to learn or kind of be aware of as we study the scriptures. Uh, Another example. Um, Israel, the eastern side of it, is bordered by water. A a sea at the north, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, They're connected by the River Jordan. And then there's the sea at the bottom, the Dead Sea. And They're both fed by the same source of water. But there's a difference. In the Sea of Galilee, it's full of fish. It's full of life in the Sea of Galilee. And the Dead Sea, as the name implies, there's no life there. Now, one teaching and one fascinating aspect of the geography of Israel is this. We all receive gifts from the same source, right? Everybody in this room... Everybody in this church, everybody in this city. We receive gifts from the same source. The difference is, are we generous with what we've received and do we give it off and give it away? Or do we hoard it and does the giving stop with us? Are we going to be like the Sea of Galilee, full of life? Or the Dead Sea that just receives water and it stops there? Now, how many of you have looked at a map of Israel and immediately been reminded I need to be tithing, right? So that's that's another example of how the geography of Israel has something to teach us. You can look at a map and go, oh my goodness, I need to be generous. I don't need to be like the Dead Sea. Risky move to talk about giving in the first class, so... (laughs) Okay, so um, the rabbis said there were three lands in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Egypt was Pharaoh's land, and then the wilderness was God's land, and then Canaan was Israel's land. And... Uh, The story we have of uh, the opening books of the Bible is God leads Israel out of Egypt to the promised land. The catch is most of the promised land is this desert, is wilderness. Now, we would like to picture, I think, that the promised land is a beach in Hawaii. And it's all good and God's going to get us out of this mess and get us there. But the reality of life, I think, as we know it week to week, month to month, year to year, is it's like this, as uh, Deuteronomy says, this vast and terrible wilderness. And it's tough. And And it's hard. And it's not easy. Now, Israel, you know, leaves Egypt and spends most of their time in the wilderness, this desert. And that's at least one proposed route in Exodus. It says God, it's, it's almost as if the scriptures say God considered leading them through the land of the Philistines, even though it was near, yet, yet he takes them this roundabout way through the wilderness. So why the wilderness? And why does God choose the wilderness as his land as opposed to, you know, the beautiful areas and, well, you know, great agricultural areas like Egypt? Why does God choose the wilderness? So it's, it says God led the people around through this wilderness. Now this is from, I read the New King James Version. Um, and so this is from New King James God led the people around by way of the wilderness now my version also says in Isaiah 40 the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord you remember this is what uh, John the Baptist is quoted as saying in his message he's the he's the voice of one crying in the wilderness now why is this wrong the colon is in the wrong place. And it is interesting how the message will change when the colon goes to the right spot. The voice of one crying, it's in the wilderness. That's the way of the Lord. So it's not just someone crying in the wilderness, it's God's way is through the desert, is through the wilderness. So this leads us to this place where the wilderness is something that we should focus on and not look past, because it has a lot of messages, I think, for our own life, and we will uh, kind of explore some of those today to lead up to uh, what's, what's coming up next. Um, wilderness in Hebrew is midbar, and word is debir, and these key letters, d-b-r, are the key letters for the words, desert and temple and sheepfold. So even the word temple, which is the place in the city of God, where God would dwell, even the temple is a wilderness image. So we go to the wilderness. God leads us to the wilderness. God leads Israel through the wilderness to be with them closely and uh, renew his vows with his people, his chosen people. And we also go to the wilderness where it's quiet enough that we can listen, that we can shema to God and be strengthened by him. A couple places in scripture where we see this. In Hosea chapter 2, God says to Israel, I'm now going to allure her. Allure is a hard word to say, allure. I'm going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. In that day, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. And in Jeremiah 2, God says, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride, you loved me and followed me through the wilderness. The wilderness and the 40 years of wandering was not simply punishment for getting, getting it wrong and making some mistakes. This was, the, this was described as the honeymoon period. Mount Sinai is pictured as a wedding moment where God becomes married to Israel. And then there's the honeymoon period of the wilderness that follows in the next few books of the Bible. The other aspect, next Exodus 16, this is where Israel is complaining. They've left Egypt. They're used to getting food from Pharaoh. They get into the desert. Suddenly, oh shoot, where are we going to eat? It's what we're all thinking right now if we've been to first service. Where are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? God, God describing to Moses how this is going to work. He says, gather enough for that day. And he's not just doing it to feed them, but he's doing it to test them and to see if the people will listen to him. And following in Deuteronomy 8, do not forget the Lord your God who led you through that great and terrible wilderness, who fed you in the wilderness, that he might humble you and test you to do good in the end. I think in our life, if we look back, or if we're in the middle of it right now, times of suffering and pain and uncertainty, we can describe it as a wilderness, and it is not fun in the middle of it, and we may not even choose to go back there, but we can probably say, I was as close to God as I've ever been when I was in that time of life. And I can look back on it and say, it was good for me. Like, it was, but I wouldn't want to do it again but it was good in the end. The wilderness is the most common picture we have in the Bible. It's just, it's the metaphor and example that we see constantly in the scriptures. A few of these, so in the desert you need shade. So these little bushes you see here, they're everywhere. And these are called broom trees, they're really small and they basically give you enough shade if you lay down under them to cover your head and that's about it. So shepherds will be leading, I mean even today, shepherds will be leading their flock through this kind of place right here and it's really hot and the sun's bearing down and they'll stop in a place and let the flock rest. The shepherd will lay down underneath a broom tree like this and the shade will cover just their head and not the rest of their body, but it's enough to cool them down so that they can go on a little bit further. And so this is how God describes himself in life. God is like a broom tree. Psalm 121, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Stretch out your right hand from where you are. Just don't hit the person in front of you. God is not any further than this right here. He's this close all the time. He doesn't get any further away than that. And you can't get any further away. Elijah's an example in 1 Kings 19. Elijah's done this. He's done more in one day than I'll do in my life. Uh, with the evil king and the pagan prophets he destroys the pagan prophets he's totally devoted to God and he does these amazing he's an amazing witness to how good God is as opposed to the pagan gods God destroys the pagan gods and at the end of this massive display of powerful good works no one changes no one's convinced and furthermore uh, the king and queen want to kill Elijah so he flees into the desert and it says he came to a broom bush and sat down under it so he would have sat down under something like this the picture of the broom tree and from these uh, from these verses is that God doesn't just take away the desert, send a cool breeze through and drop the temperature to 65. God gives us enough shade to go on a little bit further. Now, the broom tree is the most common bush, basically, in the desert. So God is everywhere through the desert of our life. But again, he's not taking away the hardship He gives us just enough relief to go on a little bit further. The other twist and challenge for us is that we also must be a broom tree for other people. And again, we don't have to change the world. We don't have to cure hunger. We don't don't have to do these grand things. Just be a broom tree for somebody this week. An encouraging comment a letter, a good conversation, asking questions, being interested in somebody. Be a broom tree, be shade in the desert. Another uh, common picture in desert picture is that you need water, obviously. Um, it, it's. I went in June and it gets hotter afterwards and I, it was really hot in June. I mean, it's, it's like here we know heat uh, being in Nashville, and you need and you need water. And David says it in Psalm 63: You are my God, earnestly I seek you, and I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in the dry and parched land where there is no water. Again, David compares his desire for God. To needing water in a place like this. I mean, the wilderness there, as you can see, it's just, it's just desert. There's just no, there's very little life there. He also says in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Now, there's another element to water in the desert. You might think that the most common uh, or the most dangerous thing in the desert, the thing that kills the most people, you know, scorpions, you know, wild animals, uh, heat even. But But it's not. It's actually floods. Now, you look at this and you go, what Now it rains in a short amount of time over just a couple months. And as you can see, the soil is not good enough to soak up all the water. So what happens is the water will hit the high points in the desert and flow down. And it's, it's probably a little hard to see here. I got another picture in a minute. It, the water, when it flows off these mountains, carves these kind of canyons or trenches into the desert or valleys the hebrew word is wadi this water carves these trenches into the desert and what will happen is it will be totally sunny outside clear day no clouds and if you're in one of those trenches the water will flow down from the high points and blow through these trenches and if you're in it you won't like you won't make it I, I, I saw a video of it, and it's like chunks of rock that are also flowing through um, these trenches as it kind of cuts through the landscape and cuts through the mountainside. And so, if you're in one of the, if you're in one of those wadis, and that water comes through, uh, you, you probably won't make it. And again, it's a clear, sunny day, too. So there's no real indication except that you have to be aware of this and know where you should go and should not go and so David in a time of suffering and need says in Psalm 69 save me O God the waters have come up to my neck I sink in the my in the miry depths I have come into the deep waters the floods engulf me this is what David's talking about when these floods come through life hits you out of nowhere with something you would have never dreamed for yourself. And you feel like, I'm up to here in life right now. And God, I need you to save me from this flood, this suffering in life. Another thing is, once the water clears out, it will kind of leave this very sticky, sandy ground underneath it in these trenches. So it's, you know, your feet kind of stick in the sand. And so, again, it's easier To get stuck in these things after it leaves this miry clay sand type thing so David says in Psalm 40 I waited patiently for the Lord and he heard my cry he brought me up out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps God took me out of this wadi out of this trench and set me in a safe place So the difference is some of the water is good and safe and some of the water in Israel, in the wilderness, is dangerous. And if you're a shepherd with sheep, you've got to know the difference because the sheep don't know. The sheep are too dumb to know the difference in safe water or living water and water that kills, dangerous water. And so the picture in Psalm 23 that God is a shepherd who leads his sheep to good water, water that gives life. Now, this might make some sense of what Jesus says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the way he describes it is, everybody can hear what I'm saying. The dif- and, and whether you agree or not, everybody can hear what I'm saying. The difference is who's going to be different from what i'm saying and who's going to keep doing what they've been doing. And he says it like this, if you change because of what i say, you're like someone who builds their house in a good safe place on the rock. But if you're someone who hears and doesn't change, you're like someone who builds their house in a wadi. And the flood and the rains will come down and the floods will come up and blast through and destroy your house obviously it would be foolish to build your house in a in a wadi like this in one of these trenches because the water will come through at some point and you won't be ready for it and it will destroy the house I think it's the last one you need got we need God to speak so the way the rabbis uh, understood the wilderness, you can see this the same pictures again, but there's these rocks all you know just everywhere. And the way they described it is these rocks are a picture of what life is. Smaller rocks that get stuck in your shoe or stuck in your sandal over there, whatever. You know, this is, traffic was really backed up today on the way home, it was not convenient getting home. You know, I spilled coffee, whatever. The bigger the rock, the bigger life's problems. And you come to a rock that's so big and you go I I need something major to be done here because I can't get I can't get around this. I can't get over this. It's it's just too much. And that, you know, those are the more serious things that come up in life. A broken relationship, illness, lost job at the wrong time, wh- whatever. Those are the bigger uh, rocks. Another picture is honey in the Bible is often a metaphor for the sweetness of God's words. God's, are so, God's oh words are so good, they, they taste sweet in our mouth. Psalm 19, David says, The law of the Lord is perfect, it's trustworthy, and the words, they are sweeter than honey. Now, to pull it all together, Psalm 81. God says, If my people would listen to me, if Israel would only follow my ways with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. Again, God's not taking away the rocks. But once we encounter the rocks along the way, God comes through in ways that we couldn't imagine, in ways that we couldn't conjure up ourselves. Um, so I think the question for us New Testament Christians is is this just an Old Testament thing and clearly the answer is no John the Baptist grew up became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till his time came and even Jesus had to go through the wilderness And it says the Spirit drove him there. You wonder if he, again, he didn't choose it, but God had to lead him there the same way God had to lead Israel through the desert as well. And Jesus was in the wilderness. He was tempted. But then through that period at the end, the angels came and ministered to him. I'll close. I was on a family vacation uh, last week to D.C. And then we... Ended the trip at Shenandoah National Park, and I saw these quotes there, and I thought it uh, made a lot of sense for this class and where we're at. Wilderness to the American people is a spiritual necessity, an antidote to the high pressure of modern life, a means of regaining serenity and equilibrium. And I think, too, what the journey of the Exodus is a journey through the wilderness of life uh is well described here the voyage of discovery is not in seeking new landscapes but in having new eyes um, I mean we could you could do a whole quarter on the wilderness and the wilderness images and the stories that happen there and um, I think the reason it's the most common picture. In the Bible, it's because it's most common to us in our week-to-week life. The things that you have, it's life's not easy. We're not just cruising up and to the right kind of thing. Um, And I'm sure we could go around the room and tell stories of the broom trees in life where we've been one or we've been a beneficiary of someone else. um, Giving us just a little bit, just enough to keep going. Or where we've gotten living water. Or where we've been a sucker to the dangerous water. Um, I I mean, I think it it would be awesome to hear all the stories. We don't have time to do that now. But I would uh, like to open it up for any any thoughts or comments on anything in the last couple of minutes here. So you think it would be a very different story if God would have chosen group of people along the Rhine River in Germany, the Bible would have had to be written very differently. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> but I think yeah, I think so. But the pictures would have the pictures would have been different. Yeah. But I think the same lessons. I think again, I think the Eastern versus Western or Hebrew versus Greek way, it's not we don't often reach different conclusions. It doesn't change our beliefs. It just gives us a new way of understanding it a little bit. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. So, um, I've been reading through the Old Testament um the last few several weeks and um and it, and your class today has just helped me kind of it I used to, I grew up thinking, well okay, that was the Old Testament, those are the stories, you know, we gotta get through that, you know, all that, and that's the history, blah blah blah. But it really is uh what we what our journey is. Yeah, I mean it, it is its it's not just that we can relate to those people, because we can, if we're real honest, we can, and, um, but the fact is that this life is a religious journey, and, and it's, a, it's a proving ground, and it's also where God proves himself to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Anything else? Awesome. Love you guys, thanks for being here. Have a great week. And Becky or Laura's next? Laura's next. All right. Come back next week. Thank you.